This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. And I want to welcome our audience to the City of God podcast, where we are regularly talking about today's cultural hot button issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. My name is Rob Pacienza, and today I am joined by my good friend, a legal scholar, political scientist, friend of this ministry, and a senior fellow for the Institute for Faith and Culture, Dr. Carol Swain. Dr. Swain, so good to see you today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for coming on. Probably my 28th interview. (laughs) I'm sure. And thank you for making time for the City of God podcast and uh, for coming on on such short notice. Uh, But Carol, you've been in the news recently in regards to Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, over allegations of plagiarism. But but before we get into that, let's start from the beginning. Uh, Most of America have seen the congressional hearings that uh, Dr. Gay was a part of, along with several other Ivy League and other university presidents uh, when they came under fire for their uh, refusal and inability to condemn calls for genocide taking place on their campuses. Give us a little background to that story and your personal thoughts. Well, I was appalled along with millions of other Americans and members of Congress from both parties that those three uh, university presidents, all female, struggled with very simple questions. And I'm gonna give them the benefit of a doubt by saying, I think they were coached by the same person and the person who coached them was totally out of touch with um, regular Americans, but also with um, basic morality because that should not have been a hard question. And had the university presidents answered those questions honestly as individuals, they would have come up with better answers than repeating one after another. It depends on the context. It depends on the context. It reminded me of when there was a president who said, is might not mean is, it just depends on what it is. And so um, people can make simple things very complicated. It's amazing. She went on to say that she was uh, personally appalled uh, by what was happening on her campus and the speech, but that that in her opinion, uh, the speech had not crossed over to conduct that was harmful or detrimental to the student body. I just I found that uh, just as appalling as what was happening on the college campuses. It's amazing uh, in in today's cultural moment uh, on a college campus, you can be expelled for misgendering. Uh, or using wrong pronoun, wrong, wrong pronouns, which can't be expelled uh, for calling for the open genocide of a particular group of people. It, 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 quite a, it is quite a remarkable moment in our nation's history. Well, you know, Pastor Rob, too, we know that if those Jewish students had been black and those pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas students had been white, it would have been shut down immediately all across the country. There wouldn't be any protests but instead they allowed the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas students to terrorize Jewish students and faculty. And I know that there were people that were terrorized. 
And it's unbelievable to see that uh, President uh, Claudine Gay has the support of the Board of Trustees. I think about 700 professors uh, signed on to keep her. But uh, we really see that we are living in a secular age. Now, let's get to the plagiarism uh, allegations. Uh, I believe it was Christopher Rufo who started doing uh, some digging into the allegations of uh, Harvard President uh, Claudine Gay, and he uncovered uh, what he believes is uh, blatant plagiarism. Uh, do you think she is uh, guilty of this crime? Well, it wasn't just uh, Christopher Rufo. Apparently, there had been an investigation that took place last October. Information was brought to the attention of the Harvard Board of Overseers, and their response was to hire a fancy-dancy law firm to threaten the people who brought the information. And initially, when I heard about it, I was being cautious. I said alleged plagiarism, but after looking at it, it's clearly plagiarism. And Harvard University doesn't get to redefine what is plagiarism. That's clearly documented. And as far as those 700 faculty members who may have signed to keep her on, a lot of those signed the petition before the evidence came out about the plagiarism. I would imagine that a few hundred of those would like to retract their names. So what's going on here? I mean, you would think a place like Harvard University uh, that would take academia uh, very seriously, uh, you know, students all the time are being expelled for honor code violations. Why is there seemingly no punishment uh, for the president, uh, you know, when the, the truth has come to light regarding what she has done? They're protecting one of their own. She she uh, attended one of the most elite boarding schools in America, Phillips Exeter. She was a Harvard undergraduate. Her senior thesis won a prize. Her dissertation won a prize. And we know that the dissertation had passages from several people's work. And so she's a product of their system. And I think that to indict her, they would have to indict themselves. So it's more than the fact that she is a black woman, but maybe not, because if she were a white male or a white woman, it wouldn't matter if they went to Phillips Exeter and they had a Harvard degree, they would have been fired or they would have resigned before they got fired. And in the case of Claudine Gay, the university uh, decided to dig in and to defend her at the cost of their reputation, as far as I can tell, they would rather damage their brand, which was already slipping into the toilet uh, over this. And part of it is because she's their first ever black president, but she is clearly not qualified. I have argued that when I look at her skimpy research, that she did not qualify for tenure in the Ivy League. My prize-winning book that she plagiarized, that book was considered path-breaking. It won three national prizes. It was cited in lower court decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court, and it sort of redefined a minority representation. She went on to have a career where she worked in that area, and without really acknowledging my work, uh, other than to have a citation in her bibliography, and... And so it was really that I felt like she wrote on my coattails without really acknowledging it. And it didn't mean that she quoted passages of my work in her published work. She didn't. She had like maybe one site. But as a scholar, 
how many times people cite you, how many citations, it matters uh, because your statue depends on the citations. By her basically ignoring my work while building on my work, uh, that had long-term consequences. So there were cases where she plagiarized, where she took passages from other people's work. But in my particular case, I would say that her work is derivative of my work that she never um, produced the path-breaking work that she would normally have to produce to get tenure in the Ivy League, and that she's fraudulent. And so I, I believe that by Harvard ignoring what has happened, that they are damaging higher education uh, as a whole. And it's not just about Harvard and about Dr. Gay, it's hurting American education. I want to get to that in a second. It's a scary thing to think that anybody, particularly somebody in the position like President Claudine Gay, is above the law in this nation. And the, and the reason she's above the law and allowed to exist above the law is because she's deemed as one of the heroes of the secular progressive agenda uh, in this in this nation. And, and it's particularly scary that this is happening at Harvard. Uh, just in case our audience doesn't understand, this is an institution that was founded on Christian principles, uh, founded to raise up ministry leaders to go out and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, you imagine if John Harvard was here today to think of what has happened uh, to this once great institution. Uh, now, I want to talk about education as a whole, because I did see on an interview recently recently, uh, that you said this entire situation uh, regarding the Ivy Leagues and regarding the plagiarism uh, allegations and, and regarding the, the inability to condemn the calls for ge genocide is a tragedy for all education. Elaborate on that. What, what do you mean by that? It will have a ripple effect. Like I say, uh, anyone who has children, whether they're in middle school where they're beginning to learn how to write papers or in high school, the first thing we try to teach them is about how to, uh, well, how to not plagiarize, like what the rules are, how to play by the rules. And if the president of Harvard University gets rewarded, despite having really plagiarized her way to the top, I think it says to every student in America, every junior faculty member, uh, that uh, there's a new set of rules in town. And it's okay to plagiarize. That's the old and out with the old, in with the new. And it is a theft of people's uh, ideas that work. And so it lowers the standard and lowers the bar even further for education in America. Uh, Carol, just I think it was just a couple of months ago, we had you live in person in the, the studio and we talked at length uh, about your new book, The Adversity of Diversity, which talks about the end of affirmative action and the dangers of DEI. Talk about how DEI is tied into this story that we've been discussing. Well, all across America at institutions, some Christian as well as secular, they have created the DEI industrial complex. It's a billion dollar a year industry. University of Michigan, they have, I believe, 173, but it's they have the, the most DEI personnel of any institution in America. And Harvard and all these people, they have DEI offices and they are pushing an aggressive uh, social justice program that is, is totally divorced from my civil rights laws, 
from the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. They are violating people's rights. And what they're doing is taking what they would consider historically disadvantaged minorities that would be Blacks, Hispanics, not Asians and whites. Asians are now honorary whites. So forget the Asians, uh, members of the LGBT uh, community, non-Christian religions. And so they're privileging certain, certain groups while uh, violating the rights of other groups. And the Supreme Court's decision that I discuss in the adversity of diversity, it struck down race-based affirmative action. I argue in the book that DEI programs, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, violate the Constitution and our civil rights laws in the same way, and that they should be struck down and will be struck down as well. And we find that in many cases involving lower court decisions, white people and men are filing lawsuits and they're being settled. They're being won or quietly settled. And so something has taken place. And it used to be uh, after the passage of the Civil Rights Act, there was an effort to diversify workforces and academic institutions. But those efforts involve going to places where people may not have been aware of the opportunities, looking for talented people, making them aware, bringing them into the system. That was the era of equal opportunity, which benefited me. And then we had uh, integration as our goal, bringing people in, integrating them. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is not the same thing. Uh, the diversity that they're talking about is bringing in groups. People are supposed to keep their group identities. They're not supposed to operate as individuals. Equity is not the same as equal opportunities. They want equal results. And that's why you can have administrations and people like Dr. Gay in positions where they're not qualified, but they represent a group. They don't have to be qualified. That's so different from the equal opportunity that my generation uh, was familiar with, that you got your foot in the door, but you had to prove yourself. You had to work very hard. Sometimes you had to work harder, but um, it was not given to you. And inclusion is not integration. Integration, you became part of the team. You were just like everyone else. With inclusion, they want you to come in with your group affinity and your group identity and your chip on your shoulder and not join in with everyone else. It's very destructive. It's very divisive. And it's not needed. It needs to be jettisoned. And then we can get to the place where we can work on reconciliation, whether it's between uh, Christians and other religions, males and females, blacks, whites, uh, Hispanics. We can find true reconciliation by just going back to the original ideas that we associate with e pluribus unum out of many one and the golden rule, just treat other people the way you want them to treat you. So you actually believe that ending affirmative action and DEI will actually improve racial relations in this nation? Yes, because we passed the Civil Rights Act in 1964 that have, it has had extensions. It prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, sex, color, national origin, uh, religion. And so... Uh, disability. So discrimination is already prohibited. And so there are mechanisms in place where someone is discriminated against, they can challenge that. And there's nothing to prevent organizations from outreach, 
from seeking qualified persons, but it needs to be done on a race-neutral basis. It needs to include poor and working-class whites, as well as Asians. Every group needs to be able to take advantage of the outreach, especially those that come from uh, disadvantaged backgrounds, those who um, may, um, you know, maybe they're in Appalachia, maybe they're in the inner city. There's no reason why you can't help hardworking people who actually want to be helped to achieve the American dream. And I would argue that not everyone belongs in college, that people um, need to have opportunities to go to trade schools. They need opportunities to start businesses. We're finding today that the value of a college degree has been watered down to the point that some people don't believe it's worth the paper that's printed on. Would it be fair to say that the equality and racial relations that were improved and achieved in the 1960s were a result and the fruit of a Judeo-Christian worldview, uh, whereas the uh, the DEI and affirmative action is really the, the fruit of atheistic cultural Marxism. Is that is that a fair comparison? I would, uh, say, that, I would say that a high point for America was the civil rights uh, movement that resulted in the Civil Rights Act of 1964, because you saw people coming together across racial, ethnic, uh, partisan, uh, and religious lines. And that was a high point for America. And it was a reflection of people appealing to, you know, uh, to, to those Judeo-Christian principles that had been violated in the past. But the people who appealed for the civil rights for minorities, they were able to claim the high ground. They had the high moral standard. But we also saw in the 1960s, the rise of neo-Marxists and just how radical the 1960s became and how uh, the Marxists that we allowed into the country, uh, the ones that were escaping Hitler, how they sort of upended everything because they went to a, a, a university, Columbia University. They turned out students who went to other universities or taught in schools. And it didn't take long for their secular Marxist godless ideas to spread pretty much across the country. And we know that it's a worldwide movement. So, you know, we, we kind of have regressed. So what do you think the end game here is? I mean, we, we saw just blatant cultural Marxism on display in those congressional hearings. As I've said repeatedly, the, the refusal or inability to, to condemn the, the call for genocide. What do you think the, the progressive agenda's end game is? I mean, if DEI continues to be carried out uh, on college campuses and corporations all across North America, what is the, 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 the end of the slip? slope that we're on? The end game is the destruction of America as we know it, because many of my former colleagues and many of these people that are in positions of power, they want uh, globalism. They believe that borders should be erased uh, uh, from around nations and that uh, we should not have borders. And I would say that they are especially targeting first world nations like the United States. They're targeting everything about our way of life, including our population. And these are things that are, determined, are designed to bring down America and life as we know it. 
and they have a strong foothold. And unfortunately, not enough true Christians understand it. And they're not trying to understand it in some cases. They would rather, you know, some people would rather read the Bible. And I'm always in favor of reading the Bible, but they they don't want to pay attention to what's happening around them. But what's happening around them is that, you know, (laughs) the ground is shifting under their feet and America is in decline. And those of us, you know, who study biblical prophecy uh, and read the book of Revelation, uh, we have reason to believe that everything is lining up perfectly for in the end times. And there will be people to say, well, they've been saying that, you know, for, for hundreds of years. And that's true. But I don't think we've had the circumstances or the level of evil in America or in the world as we do today. Jesus Christ has called us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And uh, we are well overdue for our revival in this nation. Christians need to get engaged. We need uh, more thought leaders, more pastors, uh, moms and dads, college students that are willing to be bold about their faith. In closing, um, we have a lot of parents that listen to this podcast uh, as they're thinking about sending their children off to college in light of just what we've seen from University of Pennsylvania, MIT, Harvard University, and this is just tip of the iceberg of what's happening on our secular college campuses today. Uh, what advice would you give to Christian parents as they're thinking about sending their children off to college? I would tell them to be very cautious. And in some cases, it may not be the right time. I believe there are some changes taking place and that good will come out of the fiasco of, of the three university presidents who made fools out of themselves and this plagiarism scandal at Harvard, but it's going to take a while for it to play out. And probably the parents would expect me to say, well, send them to a Christian school. I won't say that because some of the Christian schools have been taken over, but they may be more dangerous places. Certainly do your homework. You have to do your homework, but you have to realize that it is hostile territory that you're sending your child into And unless that child is deeply uh, grounded, they will be um, sucked up by the indoctrination system. And so they have to be more indoctrinated in Christ than they are, uh, you know, in the world. Because as soon as they set foot on that campus, they're going to be targeted in ways they never imagined. Dr. Carol Swain, thank you so much for joining us today on short notice. If you have not got a copy of her new book, uh, The Adversity of Diversity, please get a copy. Was privileged to do an endorsement for that book. It is a must read. Uh, Dr. Carol Swain, may God be with you as you continue to fight the good fight. Uh, We appreciate your friendship and appreciate your role here as a senior fellow at the Institute for Faith and Culture. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. And that's all for the City of God podcast. If you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Carol Swain, we pray that you would pass it along to family and friends as we navigate together uh, today's cultural hot button issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. May God richly bless you. And we'll see you next time on the City of God. The City of God podcast is produced by Coral Ridge Ministries and made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. Visit us at cityofgodpodcast.com to access all of our previous episodes. 
You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. A full video version of this podcast is available on YouTube. This is the City of God Podcast, where Christ meets culture.